Welcome to the Producers Bank Podcast, where we share weekly our best insights, ideas, and thinking in finance and investing for producers in a world of change, disruption, and chaos. I'm very excited about this episode today. I'm, I'm joined by Carl Schnitzer. Carl, great to see you. Hey, MC. I'm, it's good to see you. I'm excited for uh, our conversation. So for folks that don't know who you are, what you do, and what you get up to, could you please give us a little bit about your background and journey? Sure. So obviously, my name is Carl Schnitzer. I'm based out of Philadelphia and surrounding counties. Uh, right now, what I'm currently doing is is real estate. I sell real estate as a realtor, and then I I work um, in the infinite banking world as well, designing policies. My background prior to real estate and insurance uh, was in law enforcement. So I was a Philadelphia cop for several years here. Um, that led into real estate investing, where I, I flipped some houses, bought some rental properties. That all led into real estate and insurance, which brings me to today. Yeah. So Carl and I work together at, at Producers Wealth. And we just recently both uh, added more infinite banking policies. And we were just having a conversation, you know, like we usually do about why we added these policies for ourselves too. And I was I paused one second and said, this is actually like pretty good information to share with folks because we live in that world. Obviously, we are we we run a business that help people set up infinite banking structured uh, dividend paying whole life insurance policies with mutual insurance companies, um, and we eat our own cooking. You know, we uh, I have eleven of these in my family. You have several of these in your family. I think you're up to three now. Three, yeah. right? Um, and we just we just recently added a, a, another one each. Um, so the conversation that we had, I think, reflects a lot of uh, answers to questions and you know things that people are thinking about when they're exploring infra banking. So I'm really excited to to have you on and, and talk about this because you're someone that eats your own cooking. You practice what you preach, right? You've you've used your infinite banking system in your real estate. Uh, and and to to grow your own business, so it's been an absolute blast to see you do that. Uh, and we've known each other now for a while. I think what is it now five years? So it's just been incredible to see, uh, you know, where, where uh, how just everything that 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 you've done in the past five years since meeting you. Yeah, it's funny. We so we actually we probably met more than five years ago, and yep. you had designed a policy for me. I yep. put it off to the side. I didn't think much of it. And then it was like a year later, I'm sitting at a real estate conference in Philadelphia. And next up on stage is the cash flow ninja to <laughs> talk about um, you know, collateralizing other assets to acquire more assets. And that's what sparked the whole thing for me again. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's that was the origin story. And now you're just providing so much value to everyone in the producer's wealth world uh, that uh, producers wealth serve. And also you're a very a valued member of Cashflow Nirvana, so honored, honored that you're that you're part of that too. Um, so, for folks that don't um, know about infinite banking, and this is the first time that they've heard about this concept, right? Uh, it could be a little confusing. So, let's start there. 
So just explain infinite banking to a lot of our, because we've got a lot of new listeners and viewers, just what they need to know with regards to the strategy, what it is, and, and how this can help, especially business owners and investors. Sure. So I like to separate the, the conversation kind of into two conversations. First is infinite banking. What is it? And then the product that you use to implement the process. So infinite banking is a, is a process. Um, it's, it's the process of taking the banking process of our life down to, you know, you and me level where we can, you know, like Nelson says, become our own banker. Um, that process is leveraging what we use whole life insurance to make purchases in a more efficient manner rather than using cash or going to you know a financial institution or bank to get a loan. Uh, that's the process. The product that we use is whole life insurance. And you know a lot of times I've I've found that it's kind of hard to fully understand and fully grasp on a, a podcast setting. So a lot of times you know, and you have all the content available, MC, that actually illustrates this. And once you can see the um, numbers and see the illustrations of it is when it really kind of makes sense. I would just add to that too. And I love it how you separated those two because everybody is so product focused, right? And mm -hmm. if you look at successful business owners and investors, uh, especially when it comes to cash flow management, which is a huge, that is cash flow, right? People just think of returns and as income is cash flow, but cash flow management is, is huge. It's a process. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the product just plugs into the process and it has to be able to fit into what you're already doing. So that's why it needs to be tailored and designed uh specifically for you, the business owner, and for you, the investor, and everyone is different. So this is not a cookie cutter product. Number one, this isn't a one size fits all. Um, and this, by the way, is the biggest difference of how life insurance is sold to the majority of the public. I would argue 99% of the public. It's you know, it's a product and a commodity and very cookie cutter and one size fits all. And that's that's at the retail level. Right. And you have your um, you have your uh, critics of people, uh, you know, take a ticket, stand in line for that uh, way that it's sold, whether it's Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, all these folks. And by the way, they have extremely valid points. And I agree with most of, of their points when it comes to the way that retail life insurance is sold to 99% of the public. But the one thing that they fail to, to just pr present is a question, right? Because the quality of our qu the questions that we ask ourselves determines the quality of our thinking and the impacts the quality of our life. So one of the questions that they fail to ask is, well, you know, this might be terrible for 99% of the people, exactly how it's sold to them, because it's sold in a, in a very commoditized, cookie-cutter kind of manner. But why do, uh, I, I don't know, why do corporations get as much of this 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 vehicle? Why, why do they buy as, mu as much as they can of this? Why do banks and financial institutions buy as much as they can of this? Why do families and family offices buy as much as they can of this and also wealthy individuals? Well, that's a great question because that leads you to that, well, maybe there's a different world and there's a different way 
that this vehicle is designed for those entities and those families and those people, right? Yeah. And just to paint a picture of, of the process, you know, an analogy that we use and you use and Nelson has used, when you think of banking as a process, picture the pool of money in the world as the globe. The globe is just one giant pool of water. You know, we have continents and we have land, but it's one giant pool of water. There's oceans, there's rivers, there's seas. It's all interconnected and the water is in constant motion. It's always flowing. The monetary system and what the central banks have done is created a giant pool of money. The money's in constant motion. It's always moving and flowing from different institutions and people and businesses, but it always flows back to their pool of money. They created the pool, it goes and it flows and it comes back to them. So one of the you know analogies we like to use um, is thinking of that pool of money like the globe and how the water has moved and, and infinite banking as a process what we are able to do is create our own pool of money and we can still use it just like you know any, anything else but the money always flows back to our personal economy or our business economy and one way of setting up your pool is through collateralization which a lot of the Institutions that I just listed, whether it's banking, financial institutions, corporations, so forth, uh, family offices, which is an entity. I mean, it's uh, the wealth management of of a, of families' wealth um, and very wealthy individuals. What they do is they they go through this process of building up capital, and then they position capital in an asset, which could then be positioned. To collateralize. Now, for fo folks, if this is the first time that you're hearing about this, what it simply means is that you can put an asset up and, and use that asset as a collateral to get access of uh, to a, a loan, right? So whether it's real estate, you know, um, when you buy real estate and there's equity in the, in the property, you can tap into the equity of the property through a home equity line of credit, a HELOC or a cash out refi, and then you can buy another property. So you can buy another asset, extracting you know the liquidity from the other asset without selling the underlying asset. So you've collateralized the one property, uh, got gotten uh, a loan. And now you're buying a, another property. You could do the same thing with business. There's someone in our network, actually, that placed the assets of the business and the receivables as the business as collateral. So they got a loan uh, from a, um, a lending institution, and then they were able to use that loan to buy the building from which the, the, the business operates. So they another. took their business to buy another assets, which, which is real estate in this process, right? We, we just saw Elon do this too with the Twitter deal. He put up one asset as collateral, his, his Tesla shares. He leveraged that to acquire another asset. It's, That's it's right. So his families do. Asset-based lending, which is the stocks. And you can do the same thing with gold, silver, and art. You could do the same thing with crypto. Beware. You know, kids don't try this one at home. A lot of people got their hands burnt there. Uh, the same thing with stocks, by the way. These are advanced strategies. You need to know and understand exactly what you're doing. You need to manage um, the collateral uh, because there could be margin calls if the markets go down, uh, just like what happened with crypto. Um, and then life insurance falls into an asset clause, which a lot of people don't know about. And by the way, I've done, you know, I've done real estate, I've done business, I've done gold, silver, um, and, and even crypto as a as 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 an asset that I collateralize to gain access to liquidity to go and buy more assets. But my favorite one 
is life insurance. It's my, I mean, for many, many reasons, right? Whether it's the stability, it's the stability of the asset. There's no collateral that needs to be managed. Um, you uh, have your principal in there that's guaranteed. The growth is guaranteed in there. You get access to dividends because it's from a mutual insurance company that's not guaranteed, but some of them have paid them since you know the 1840s, which is just crazy. It's all tax free, and you get to access you know. 90, 95% plus, uh, in, in, in most cases, you can access up to the value of the cash value, the equity in the policy through a policy loan, either directly from the insurance company or from a financial institution or from a banking institution. So, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, if I look at all the options there, this is, this, this is my favorite one. So this is kind of where it fits in, right? Any just quick comments on, on what I've just shared about collateralization? No, uh, you cover collateralization really well. Um, the only thing I would just add is, you know, if this is the first time someone's listening and, and hearing about using life insurance as an asset class, there is more to life insurance than death benefit. Everyone just thinks life insurance, death benefit, as if that's yep. the only benefit to a life insurance contract. There's living benefits to it. Like you mentioned, having that cash value account that you can collateralize. And, you know, what I like to tell people too, and, you know, if there's investors or business owners, Think of the last loan application that you applied for. You know, real estate investors see this all the time. There's a spot on that loan application that says life insurance cash value in the assets column. And they want to see how much you have there because it's a real asset that the big institutions and big investors and big players use when they're, you know, um, acquiring more assets. That's what they use to keep their liquidity. You know, fun fun fact that presentation that I did that you uh, saw me at years ago, you know, five years ago or something, uh, in Philadelphia. Um, afterwards, there was an older gentleman that came up to me, and he said to me because I part of my presentation I shared collateralize how to collateralize assets, right? Because you can money, have your money work in two places simultaneously and do many different things for you. And he he said to me, he said, I never realized you could do this with life insurance. He said. Uh, I have over a million dollars in cash value in our, the the life insurance policies in our in our family. So you're telling me that I can collateralize that and utilize that to, for example, invest in real estate. And I said, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was so he found over a million dollars just just by you know understanding that there's a little bit more advanced strategies. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about. Um, one of some of the things that you were thinking about, because I shared, we just set up another policy each during this time, because this is probably the most frequently asked question I'm getting right now. Is it still a good time to do this? I'm young. I'm, you know, in my 30s and 40s. I'm in my 60s. Is it a good time to do this? So what were some of the things that you were thinking about in setting, you know, setting up another policy? Sure. And one more point I just want to add to that with the guy that came up to you is, you know, not all life insurance policies are created the same. There's yep. only certain products in the life insurance world that you would want to utilize in order to implement this strategy. So just kind of a um, you know quick note on that is that not all policies are created the same. And that's where you know working with an expert that understands this comes in. Um, that's a very, on, very good point because there's a lot of I mean when I first started in the space, you know, over a decade ago, there wasn't a lot of information out there. People kind of looked at you like you were crazy <laughs> if you told them about this because it's a strategy. 
and a lot yeah, of it's a, yes it's a strat it was a strategy reserved for the ultra wealthy and that's why i love nelson nash's book uh and all of these books and everything that nelson did because he took it to everyone he took it to the public um but over a decade ago, everybody was very, very skeptical and kind of looked at you like you were kind of crazy when you're talking about this. Now, everybody is 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 on board. The, the genie's out of the bottle, but you're seeing a lot of like, uh, I would say, um, yeah, exotically marketed ways of explaining what this is and very exotic. Uh, kind of designs that people are posting online. So be very, very, very careful with this. This is this, it needs to be very specifically designed to do exactly what you want it to do. Um, so great point. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, but yeah, so back to uh, uh, just why you were, you know, you, you also set up another one for, for you and your family. Sure. Yeah. So I have three policies now inside my family. Um, the reason for the third one that I just started this, this, the end of last year, you know, as I, as I produce and create more value to the marketplace, you know, that, that brings more financial capital. And when you design these policies, there's a minimum and a maximum to them. Well, the first two that I had in place, my maximum was getting very comfortable to where, you know, I had, X amount of dollars that had to go in, and that was very comfortable to me. I still had a surplus of cash left over, um, you know, that I was that I was bringing in. So this solves the problem of where do I keep capital that I that I trust, that I have full control over, you know, that I can leverage, that I can do whatever I want with it, that is safe, you know, and, and grows in compounds. So, you know, I, I got to a point at the end of last year where, you know, like I said, I was I was doing very well. I had a good year, and I needed a place to put capital. You know, I needed that other place and I felt confident this year and moving forward that I was still going to, um, you know, produce and create as much value and, and be rewarded for that, that I'd be able to, to make these premiums and have that safe place. You know, I, I don't trust a bank when you, when you look at the other options that are out there, where do you keep capital? You know, you can, you can make a list and see, you know, here's all the spots that I can keep capital. I can keep it in a bank. I can keep it in a qualified retirement plan. I can keep it under my mattress. I can keep it in whole life. Or you know some kind of taxable brokerage account or anything. There's there's only a limited amount of places you can actually store your money. And when I look at you know all the things that I value and what I wanted out of you know a, a capital management account, you could call it whole life fit every box to where you know I felt comfortable putting more money there and adding another policy on and not even to, you know, I don't even look at it for the death benefit, but it comes with a death benefit as well. Yeah. So here's a couple of reasons why I did, uh, uh, did set up another policy too. Cause I went through the exact same thinking exercise because this is what the problem that this solves for business owners and investors is where do you keep your capital? You know, um, the question that everybody should be asking themselves is if you're a business owner or investor, where should you be put positioning capital? And the answer is, well, in a place that I can access to grow my business and as an investor, grow my investment portfolio. What it's kind of, I mean, crazy to see that a lot of business owners and investors would 
hand over capital or position it in vehicles that they cannot access to grow their own businesses and their own investment portfolios. And what's even worse is then inside of those vehicles, the capital which they allocated in there is invested in someone else's business and in someone else's investment portfolio. So it, it just doesn't make any sense. So um, as a business owner and investor myself, here's some of, was some of my thinking. Today, counterparty risk is one of the biggest risks out there. People don't, you know, yes, we understand political risk in a in a world that has com completely collectively lost its mind, uh, especially if you're looking at geopolitical events. Yeah, political risk is a is a very big risk. But you know, and by the way, people can talk about risk in the economy, risk in the specific market that they're in. Um, and you can go through all those levels and still be okay. And then you get to counterparty risk, exactly where your money is allocated. And here's an example. In 2008, a lot of people had accounts with Lehman Brothers that traded options and they shorted the markets. They had everything right. They assessed political risk, e economic risk, um, market risk, everything. And they were right. They would have made a fortune, but they didn't take counterparty risk into consideration. So for me, that was huge. And if you look at what how institutions um, and, I mean, governments, institutions, people, how they will behave in the future, look at how they've behaved in the past. So what um, what is used, what companies are being used to set up these policies with is very important. It's mutual life insurance carriers. Mutual life insurance carriers are not part of the Wall Street casino. They're not listed on the stock exchanges. There's a huge difference between a stock company and a mutual insurance company. So mutual insurance companies um, are managed on behalf of the shareholders, which are the policy owners, which stock companies are managed on behalf of the stock holders, right? Because they want to they want to increase their stock price. That's how they generate value and serve their their shareholders. So they get involved in risky ventures like AIG did in 2008. Um, so you got to be very, very clear of okay, Counterparty risk. How has mutual insurance companies behaved? Well, since the mid 1800s, you know, some of them have paid dividends every single year, which is sort of profit sharing. So they've shown a profit. They've been profitable every single year. I mean, try to find a hundred companies for that has been on the stock exchange, New York Stock Exchange, for over a hundred years and have been profitable every single year. It's going to be very, very hard to find. So if you look at how they've behaved in the past, how will they look in the future? And there's a lot of talk about, you know, a monetary reset, banking and financial changes, all of that stuff. Well, how have mutual insurance companies behaved during monetary resets and banking and financial system changes? There's been most people don't they they only think that this is the first one, right? Uh, if 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 how have they behaved in the past? Well. Just look at the past 100 years, and some of these were around during the Civil War. You literally had two types of currencies in the United States at one stage, the greenbacks and the graybacks. Mm -hmm. You know, you had uh, the creation of the Federal Reserve in 1913. You had World War One. You had World War Two, the Great Depression. Uh, you had the Bretton Woods Agreement in 1944, where the U.S. dollar became the world reserve currency. You had... 
1971, Richard Nixon took the world off the gold standard by closing that gold window. And then also, um, you know, you had sort of the establishment of the petrodollar in 1974, where the deals were cut with and brokered with Saudi Arabia, right? Where the U.S. would protect Saudi Arabia as a country. Uh, they would sell oil only in dollars. And the dollars that they gained from the, their oil transactions would be used to buy U.S. treasuries. So counterparty risk is huge. Uh, I'm going to pause there for a second and see if you have any comments on that. Yeah, one thing just about the mutual companies. So one thing that I that I look at is comparing a mutual to a bank. I don't feel as though the bank is safe in, in the aspect that the loans and the, the the liabilities that the banks have, they don't have the collateral or the capital to back it up. Banks can practice fractional reserve lending, mutuals can't. The loans that the mutuals make, they have sufficient collateral you know, behind those loans where if, if, a, if a borrower defaults, they, they had the collateral there. You know, Banks can't say the same. They don't have collateral for all their loans. The rules were all also changed. You can go to your favorite search browser. You are an unsecured uh, lender to the bank when you deposit money into a bank. We saw that with bail-ins in Cyprus. And by the way, these legisla uh, legislation uh, has been done globally. It's all over the world. It isn't just in Europe or in Cyprus. It's in the U.S. too. So when you put money in a bank, you're an unsecured lender of that money to the bank. Um, so, yeah, I mean, very nervous about I, I wouldn't trust banks. I mean, they're literally when people tell you stuff, you need to listen, you know, <laughs> because they're telling you it. So just listen to them. The FDIC that ensures Deposits for up to $250,000 per account. Um, have They had a meeting online. This is available, by the way, online too. You could just look this up. They literally said in the meeting, one of their board members, that there will be bail-ins. There will be bail-ins. So from a counterparty risk, no-brainer. I don't want to uh, – that's not a place where I want to warehouse capital. Um, then a couple okay. of other things that I'll just quickly fire off. Tax. Yeah, quick, real quick. Yeah, go ahead. If anyone doesn't know what a bail-in is, it's essentially the opposite of a bailout. Whereas a bailout, the taxpayer um, is really the one that that suffers a loss. Whereas a bail-in, the depositors of the bank are the ones that suffered, and the customers, the the bank can can seize the money and issue stock in exchange, and you know that that stock can fluctuate whether it's the same value or not. Yeah, you don't you don't get to access your money, and you now have stock of the bank that's basically worthless. Um, the other thing too, from capital positioning, here's what business owners and investors should be thinking about. And this is how I was thinking about too. The people that I'm talking to behind the scenes, and you know, I am this this is this is what I do on the show. I give you an insight of the conversations that people are having that you're not privy to in through mainstream media and all of the other areas that you're getting your information from. Deferring taxes right now is financial suicide. If you have a financial strategy that is based on deferring to paying taxes on something later, it'll be financial suicide. It doesn't matter where you're in in the world, all of the governments are bankrupt, whether it's federal or national governments, whether it's state, provincial, whether it's local, they're all bankrupt, all of them. And governments cannot produce and create anything. The only thing that they can do is take. They can take production and creation, you know, or the result of that, which is capital. So they're going to tax you. Taxes, by the way, if you look historically of where the U.S. is at, 
historically, you know, we are very, very low. So taxes are going to go up. And this is a tax-free vehicle once the money's in there. You don't get it to deduct taxes when you put it in there. But once it's in there, now it's growing tax-free. You can access a tax-free through policy loans. And there's strategies where from a tax-free retirement standpoint, and that's a lot of people that come into our world, you know, they're 59 and a half, they're trying to move um, capital into these policies. You could do it in five years and set up a tax-free retirement through different strategies. Um, The other thing too, you lose complete control, by the way, when you put it in a vehicle to defer taxes, complete control, you're deferring taxes, financial suicide. Nobody should be doing this or have a strategy where you defer taxes. Um, because you, anybody listening to this, your goal should be to <laughs> be in the, in the highest possible tax bracket and absolutely make a lot more money in the future than what you're doing now. Um, and then also um, liquidity. Liquidity is where can you get money? So uh, just for me, the lesson that I took out of 2008, 2009, and I got my hands spanked just like everyone else, but I got less of a spanking than a lot of other folks. But one of the biggest mistakes that I made was I didn't have access to liquidity when I needed it and the world was on sale. And I would never, ever put myself in a situation like that again, because I I think back and I just cringe because assets went on sale. And when they go on sale, you need access to capital. So your capital needs to be in a vehicle where you can access it. So people were pulling HELOCs, by the way, in 2008 and 2009. I know, got the t-shirt, got the ticket, saw the movie. Um, If you had it in a life insurance policy, and you had a HELOC, which I would suggest you have options, both options. If the HELOC's pulled, you still have liquidity in your life insurance contract. So those are some of the thoughts that I went through and just thinking it. And that's why I was like, you know, coming to, if you look at where do I have control of my capital to keep growing my business, uh, to keep uh, growing my investment portfolio, to have access to liquidity when I need it, to mitigate taxes, to pay it now when I can control over it. Oh, as much as I owe legally, instead of deferring it in the future, um, paying seed on the or taxes on the seed, not the harvest, right? Um, those are some thoughts that that I had. So, you know, any comments on what I just uh, shared, Carl? Yeah. So, I mean, just like we, we're, this whole conversation is based around where do you keep capital? We, we know we don't trust the banks. So then you can look at, you know, accounts that are linked to the Wall Street casino, which, you know, you and I, we, we don't trust that either. And there's no control, like you mentioned. And, you know, the, the big one that a lot of people, a lot of wealth is kept in is just 401ks. And 401k is the worst business deal you can make. You know, a lot of people, they, they don't even understand what it is, which encourages ignorant investing. You know, you and I, we did, a, we did a podcast on that as well. And with these 401ks or other qualified retirement plans, it, when the tax is deferred, you don't know how much of it is yours. So, you know, it, it's laughable when people tell me, oh, I have a million bucks in my 401k. And I say, oh, well, how much of it is yours? Well, all of it. No, it's not. You don't know how much of it is yours. You know, it's, the IRS hasn't taken their share yet, and you don't even know how much of their share they're going to take. Yep. You just reminded me of something, you know, and I I had a note here to share it. You know, Carl and I are having these conversations weekly on a new show that we also launched, The Producers Bank. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. It's a much shorter format where we just share or talk about one idea. 
uh, with regards to uh, a wealth strategy. Um, so the producer's bank, just go to what you're listening on to this show now. Uh, it's also on video platforms, but the producer's bank is, is the podcast. It's about 10 to 15 minutes where we share one concept idea or something that, you know, we have been talking between the two of us uh, that we think that people will find extremely valuable regarding the strategy. I'll also just share, you know, how you started it in the beginning. There's two buckets. There's a product. And then there is a strategy, a process. So this is one tool in your toolbox. You know, I, I, we live in a world of, of extremes. And <laughs> that's just how people think. It's like, this is the one thing and this is all you should do. No, this is not what we're saying too. This is one tool that fits into our tool belt along with all the many tools this is the tool that increases the efficiency, by the way, of, of a lot of other tools, because yeah. it can help you your money do two uh, um, different things uh, simultaneously. I think there's confusion sometimes, too, where people that are exploring IBC, they think IBC is the investment. You know, it, it is the one and only I'm going to put money here and then that's what's you know, I'm going to live on one day, which you can pull retirement income. But the insurance policy is just your liquidity bucket from there, you deploy it into your investments. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's so many other things too surrounding uh, this, why we, we choose it, right? Whether it's asset protection in most states, whether it is privacy, whether it can, it can help you with business and continuity. Uh, um, well, business and family continuity strategies. There's so many uh, ancillary strategies regarding this vehicle and how you can use it. I like to refer to it sometimes as the Swiss army knife, <laughs> financial of financial vehicles. Um, so we share this all at your own banking system.com, by the way, your own banking system.com will take you uh, uh, to a presentation where we share all of these things. And then also, uh, there are many other presentations that you'll get access to uh, as well when you go to your own banking system.com of how to use this in your particular situation, uh, whether it's just as a place to warehouse your capital as a business owner and investor, whether it's uh, a, a tax-free retirement strategy, whether it is uh, you know a existing life insurance policy that you want to rescue, like a lot of these very poorly structured universal life policies that are out there. Um, so there's so many different strategies that, that we share of exactly how this is used inside of our network by a lot of, a lot of our clients. So I just wanted to share that too. That's at your own banking system.com. Carl, this is your first time on the cash loan engine. I always ask first time, uh, guess this question you know we talk about cash flow we talk about business and investing but it's about leaving a legacy uh and and of course passing on a legacy if you cannot pass on money to any future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles and values to them uh to build wealth and achieve happiness and success uh what would they be man i, I should have known this this was coming and i didn't prepare for it um so the first thing that I, you know, I really, really would want to instill in my children is to to always be curious and, and continue learning. You know, that's something that I credit a lot of, you know, the success that I've had thus far too, is that I, I always continued learning. I was always reading books, you know, even when I was a cop and, you know, cops were, uh, we worked overnight. So when cops were not working, you know, I, I was reading books and, and 
when we weren't busy, I was always just curious and learning. Um, that, you know, would be my, my one value that I'd want to pass on. Another one would be, um, just to kind of, you know, look at things objectively and with an open mind, because when, like you said, there's not one size fits all. And there's so much talk out there of, Hey, this is the only way you can build wealth is to, you know, pour money into a 401k or whatever, whatever that is. When, if you just look objectively, there could be, um, not there could be, there is other routes that, that can get you there you know, a little bit um, more efficiently. So what's that too? Uh, third one, keep networking. You know, like like you and I always talk about, you have your, your intellectual capital and your relationship capital builds financial capital. Well, your relationship capital is your networking and, and the contacts and the people that you associate with, the, the people that you're learning from, there's such a huge value, even though it may not feel like a financial value at time, there's value into your relationships. Awesome. Carl, where can folks follow you? Where can they learn more about you? And where can they keep informed of all the many things that you're involved with? Sure. So, you know, I'm on the Producers Wealth website. You can contact me through there. Um, I'll leave MC with a couple social media links of my pages. And then I also have a, a link of schedulewithcarl.com. That's Carl with a K, Schedule with Carl. Um, that's just for, you know, an overall kind of strategy call and has my bio and a few other things on there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and just providing so much value for all of my listeners and viewers. 